Are you ready to be awakened and empowered in your calling and purpose? Are you a builder and shaper of the church, marketplace, and society? Welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Schneider, and I look forward to helping you get equipped as a catalyst of the kingdom in your sphere. Now that you've had your your mind blown a little bit (laughs) with the subject of system building, people are always so shocked. I mean, it's like walking into the the mansion of the kingdom and opening a room that has been locked or a room you didn't know existed. And suddenly you realize, wow, we can leverage laws and principles that God himself has instituted, build systems around it, just like those, the greats who have built anything fruitful and successful in this life. And so as promised, we are going to jump right into Building a system. This is an an example sample system that works. It's been proven to work. But this one is a bit different because it's more about setting a precedent. So some of our numbers are very even numbers. So the math is easy for you. Our system that we're going to do today is reaching. and, And by the way, notice behind me, apostolic engineering. That's what we're doing. We're using structures, processes. We're using systems to reach more people for the kingdom than ever before. So what is our system today? We want to reach 10,000 people in one year. So you can make that a bit of a title, even though it's here. 10,000 people in one year. And when we say reach, we're talking about adding significant value to them. It's about encountering them with the gospel of the kingdom or your movement, your ministry, whatever it is, reaching 10,000. But out of those 10,000, this part will be important here, out of those 10,000, we want to see 1,000 of them converted to Christ. So 1,000 conversions. You can just put up there. 1,000 conversions. Now, why 1,000 out of 10,000? Well, it's a a statistical, you know, mathematical law. It's a percentage there. And so 1,000 convert to Christ. How many of you that have churches or you're a pastor, how many of you would like to see 1,000 people (laughs) added to your church or ministry in in one year? Would that make a significant difference to your life? I bet it would. 1,000 conversions. We're going to show you how to do that today. And so firstly, what you want to do and, and this isn't point number one. I'm going to do it very systematic, one, two, three. But before I get into point number one, one thing you want to really do, whenever you go to build a system within your own life or uh, an organization, a church, even a, a region or a nation, depending on your sphere, your metron, one thing you want to do is identify the culture. Discern the culture. Some systems that have worked really well in some cultures don't necessarily work really well in other cultures. We know this. We've seen this over the years. And so some things you want to translate and take from one culture and just put it on. Not all shoes fit all feet. And so you want to pay the price in prayer, pay the price in research on on what What is the culture like? And identify the laws and principles that function in that culture. You know, one of the reasons the cell group model works so well in Hispanic nations or Latino nations, and it it works everywhere, it's the cell group model. But one of the reasons it worked so well there had everything to do with the way the demographic is set up, family demographic, community demographic, and and, and it's very easy to get together, fellowship, you're living maybe in the same area and you're having, you know, you're having your cell group during siesta or something like that. And it just, it worked so well and it works cross-culturally, yes. But specifically, we saw how when you discern the culture of the nation or of the people group, man, God knows. <laughs> and when you pay the price in prayer and get God's mind on something, and then build a system around it, you can literally make history in that particular nation. So identify the laws and principles of the culture. Know the sphere you're going to build a system in. So as we said, reaching 10,000 people in one year, 
A thousand people converted to Christ. What's our first step? First step is goal. Number one is the goal. What is the goal? Thank you so much. Catherine is in the house. So number one is the goal. Every system must have a goal. What is our goal in this system? And, and you know, if you don't have a goal, you don't have something to inject your faith into. If you don't have a vision, you can't really connect your faith to something. And some people will often say to me, they've said, well, we don't want to set a goal because we don't want to hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. And, <laughs> and you think, wow, you don't have a goal. I've seen the Holy Spirit look to man to make a, make a goal and a vision, and then he wants to anoint it. He wants you to inject your faith into it. So it's absolutely okay to goal set. So whenever you're building a system, it's not a true system unless you have a goal. Every system must have a goal. Now, what is our goal here? Our goal is to reach 10,000 people, a thousand of, it, of which will convert to Christianity. Plain and simple. Number two is the time factor. Number two is time factor. <laughs> it's also not really a system unless it has a time factor. Why? Why do we put a time limit on it? Time brings out the best in us. Time boundaries, time restrictions help us to work harder, work smarter, work faster. Anybody who's taking history makers training, you've probably already discovered how time restraints and boundaries do bring out the best in you. You work harder, you work faster. It's why universities and the real world, as we say, puts a time limit on things. So this one is going to have a time factor. What's our time factor? Well, it's one year. Now, when you're system building, you want to get as detailed as possible. So we don't just say one year. We say 365 Days. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> 365 days. All right. So that's number two. We want to do it within one year. And that looks pretty daunting. When you think of touching 10,000 people or seeing a thousand conversions in one year, well, all things are possible. We'll test you and see if you really believe what Jesus said that all things are possible. Now, we're going to move down to number three. Number three is going to be resources. Resources. It's important that you take inventory on what your resources are to accomplish the goal. Now, you may not realize the resources that God has already given you. Sometimes we, we major on, do I have enough money? Or I'm not going to step out and do this if I don't have the money. Well, there's actually resources that are more important than that. First and foremost. Now, our, our, our third category, resources, actually has two subcategories underneath it. The first one is invisible resources. I like to call it uh, invisible wealth. We are so wealthy with the things God has given us, and we don't even realize it oftentimes. Invisible resources, what are those? Those are your gifts, your talents, your abilities, spiritual gifts. <laughs> Maybe it's your sense of humor. Make a list before you go to build the system. Make a list of every resource you feel you have at your disposal. Like if you lost your job tomorrow and you had to find a way to make money. I'm giving some secrets here today, guys. You had to find a way to make money. You, you would probably sit down and say, well... What am I good at? Maybe you're, you have a sense of humor, as I said. Maybe you're good in math. Maybe you're strong in writing. You would begin to identify your gifts and abilities because they are sort of a secret roadmap. They are God's wink from heaven about what you're called to do, what you're good at, what you can package and prepare, how you can use your invisible resources to accomplish a goal. Some people discover they're good in art, and so they create a program that reaches underprivileged youth in the area of art. That's what some of our graduates have done. 
They're gifted in art, and so they create a program that ministers to people through art, and they build a system, and they begin to advance the kingdom through art. Even though they maybe didn't have the material resources at the time, they have the, the talent, the ability. And, and guys, by the way, if you don't have, if you say, I really don't have many resources, you have time, <laughs> and you have yourself both of which are free. <laughs> you have yourself to work with, you won't pay yourself, and you have time. And if you're lacking anything else, leverage the two that you have, yourself, your, 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 your health, and your, your time in the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? You have, we, we are way more wealthy than we think. Now, moving on beyond invisible resources, it's important that we understand what our material resources are. What's our, what are our material resources as it pertains? What can we use? Maybe you have an office space. Maybe you have a home office. You have a cell phone. You have a computer. Make a list of all your material resources. You'll find you're wealthier than you think. Do you have access to a savings account? Do you have some money you could invest into the project? Do you have maybe a small team around you? Maybe you have some family members that, that are willing to, to work with you in getting your goal going, getting the system launched, getting the new ministry going. As you name your uh, resources that God has given you, guess what will happen? They will begin to grow and even multiply. <laughs> Many people, they get stuck on what they don't have, but when you major on what you do have, God will enhance it. He wants to put the super on the natural that you have in your hand. What's in your hand, Moses? I give you just a rod. That's all you've got. You can't even speak well, Moses. But I give you a rod and a co-leader, Aaron, who does speak well, and when you're faced with an impossible situation and you've got to lead this nation, I'm trying not to preach here, but you've got to lead this nation out of Egypt and through a Red Sea. What's in your hand, Moses? A rod. Stretch forth your rod. Use the resources that you have. Use the natural thing that's in your hand and I will multiply it. Use that $100. Use that space in your basement. Put a desk down there and get to work and you'll see that life gives birth to life in this kingdom. Hallelujah. Things naturally begin to grow and multiply because you're dealing with kingdom DNA. I'm trying not to preach today, but I get so excited about this. If we could get people moving beyond sitting in church and waiting for God to lay everything out before you. Get moving and you'll see God. When you take one step, God will take two steps. We saw some of the most fantastic signs and wonders when we went out with what was in our hands. One of our graduates, she started a little Mr. and Mrs. Tea Party program where parents would come and have, have a tea party with their children and... and it was a program that taught etiquette to kids, and it was based in kingdom values. Well, somebody in the city who wasn't a Christian ended up donating the use of the building, donated office space. We, are, we have testimonies like this all the time because God will perform signs and wonders when it comes to advancing the kingdom beyond the four walls of the church. <laughs> I get so excited about this because... We are always, sometimes we are looking for the most basic of things when God wants to absolutely rock your world and surprise you by meeting your needs according to his riches and glory. Okay, we have to keep going. We have to keep going. It's not a preach. All right, so number three was resources. Make a list of what you have. Number four is algorithm. Algorithm. Coincidentally, I met my wife in a training in Philippines, and I asked, how do you spell algorithm, or what's the word algorithm in, in Bisaya? My wife at the far back of the room, 
made a face to me, mouthing the word or something, and we locked eyes. I'm getting distracted. She's here in the studio today with us in this training, so I just glanced over at her. I'll stay on topic. Algorithm. Now, what is an algorithm? For those of you who don't know, it's prescribed steps to achieve a goal. Prescribed steps to achieve a goal. Now, the algorithm is a step-by-step -step process to accomplish the goal. Sometimes it's a mathematical equation, but not always. Today it'll be a mathematical equation, basic one, but it, it isn't always. Now, our algorithm for today, for this system, is we're going to divide task by time. We're going to divide the task by the time. So, if our task is 10,000 people in one year, 365 days, we're going to divide task by time. So it's 10,000 people divided by 365. 10,000 divided by 365. Now, if you take out your calculator, you will find out that gives you kind of an odd number. It's something like 27.3. So to, to make it easier, we can round up. You always want to try to round up as best you can. So maybe we can say that's 28 people. So that means 10,000 divided by 365 means if you are the pastor or leader of this system that you're building, you have to reach 28 people every day of the week, seven days a week for a year to accomplish your goal. Does that sound impossible? Yes. <laughs> because, you know, you'll be breaking the law of Sabbath rest. You won't have a family at the end if you're working every day to reach 28 new people every single day of the week. So let's say... For the sake of the system, we want to only work on this five days a week uh, because Saturday is your day off and Sunday maybe you're in church. So working five days a week, that's going to change up our algorithm a bit. So the new algorithm is going to be task by time, 10,000 people. And if you're only working five days a week, that's not 365 days in the year. It's now 260. So our new algorithm is going to be 10,000 people divided by 260 days. Does that make sense to everyone? Because it's not going to be 365 days. You're not working every day. Working five days a week gives you 260 days of the year. So 10,000 people divided by 260 days is going to give us the number 38.4. 38.4 people reached every day, five days a week. Still difficult. And again, for the sake of the system and understanding the algorithm and the math of it, let's round up to 40 people. Let's round up to 40 people. So... To accomplish this goal now, and this still should look really difficult to you, and that's okay because I'm going to show you how to pull this off. You can actually do this. So 40 people, now you're dealing with a pastor or leader working <laughs> five days a week all year round, having to reach 40 people a day, five days a week for a year. That's still pretty difficult, but it gets easier and, and it's possible. It begins to become possible when you move into step number five, which is form a team. <laughs> yeah, we can turn that over. Form a team. The leader or pastor, whether they're a leader of the ministry or pastor of a church that wants to endeavor to do this, and we've done this. Uh, is going to make a team. Jesus had a team. Makes this a little more possible, doesn't it? So let's choose 10 people. Jesus had 12, but let's choose 10 people who are going to take on this goal with the pastor. So you can just write 10 people. So the pastor makes a team and he begins to meet with this team of 10 once a week. He or she is still preaching on Sunday, 
But now, Pastor so-and-so is also once a week meeting with a team of 10 with a goal of reaching 10,000 people in one year, a thousand of which get saved and become members of, of their church. So they create a team. This brings us to number six, which is target groups. What's the target group? Target groups. So what I mean by that is each of these 10 people is going to choose a sphere of society that they feel called to, that they feel called to reach. And so you're going to select, you're going to identify the city you're in or, you know, the culture group you're in, and you're going to choose 10 sectors of society. So if this particular church or organization wants to reach 10,000 people, where are we reaching those 10,000 people? Who are they? And so we're going to make a list of 10 spheres of society that might be relevant to the particular culture. And of course, you guessed it, each of the 10 leaders is reaching people in that particular sphere. We're slowly approaching a greater possibility of actually accomplishing this vision. And I'll show you how. Stay with me. We've got now our, our target group. And we actually have now a, a bit of a new algorithm. You can write this down, Catherine. Our new algorithm is 40 people. Because remember, we've got to reach now 40 people a day, five days a week. But we have 10 people to help us with this. <laughs> so 40 divided by 10. 40. 40 people divided by 10 liters, gives us four people a day, five days a week. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's becoming a little more possible because we know if we're, if we're working on this five days a week, we're going to be reaching 40 people a day, five days a week. But if we have 10 people helping us with this, now you're talking about any, any leader only has to Reach four people a day, five days a week. And, that, and it gets even easier than that, but we'll get there. First, let's figure out who our 10 people are reaching. What are our 10 areas of society? And this is just for an example. We might as well flip the, the page over and let's list 10 areas of society. This might apply to your culture, wherever you're watching from. Just as an example, here are our 10 spheres of society. 10 spheres of society that we want to influence. Are you enjoying this so far? <laughs> I know that you are. And, and it gets really exciting when you see how doable this is and why the church hasn't done this before. Here are our 10 spheres of society. Number one, single mothers. Single moms. Single moms. Single parents might be a, a, a good term. You know, there's men that are single dads. Number two, how about seniors, isolated seniors, lonely seniors that need some encouragement, need hope. We have created ministries that reach seniors, and we've been able to actually win seniors to Christ right where they're at by utilizing a system like this. So, Isolated seniors. Number three, homeless, the homeless people. Do you have homeless people in your city? The homeless could be some that we are reaching. All right, number four, youth, young people. One of, the, one of your team of 10, maybe they have a heart for youth. God's called them to reach the youth, that's number four. Number five, immigrants. Do you have immigrants coming into your country? Absolutely. The world has never been at such a place where people are changing the nation they live in. They're going to different countries. And when an immigrant arrives into the country, maybe they don't know the language. Maybe they feel lost. Maybe they feel overwhelmed by this move they've made. They need to find a job or they need to locate certain resources. You can help them with that. 
And through your program, you can actually introduce Jesus to people who are new to the country. I, I, I've been in Q&As where people have asked me how to reach some of even, even refugees in their nation. And, and you know, we, we've started where you go, right to where they are, and start a church, a church for refugees. You just have to be creative, have the thought process of God. Hallelujah. So immigrants, that's number five. Number six, maybe the disadvantaged, those who are physically disadvantaged, physically challenged. Oftentimes we don't, we don't think of that in church, do we? We think of how many people are coming to the church. <laughs> we don't even think of going to where the disadvantaged are who maybe can't make it to the church. Oh, what have we done with the gospel? <laughs> the disadvantaged or challenged in different ways. Number seven, business people. Business people. What about starting a monthly business get-together of business people in the city where you offer a breakfast and some mentoring from a certain leader and you introduce Jesus, introduce kingdom principles? What about reaching the business sector? It's one of the sociological mountains that we're called to reach. Business people. That's number seven. Number eight, and again, these are just examples. Number eight, what about prisoners or convicts? People who have been through the prison system. One of our most successful graduates created a program and a ministry that helps to rehabilitate families that have been impacted by incarceration where the, the, the husband or wife, the, the father or mother have been in prison. Maybe they're coming out of prison and we're reintegrating them into the family and into society. She created an incredible program that reaches and rehabilitates families impacted by this because she herself and her family were greatly impacted by this. And so that's the sector of society. She was actually in our very first uh, small group like this. Very first 10 that had this goal. All right, so excellent. Number nine, we'll do two more, nine and 10. Number nine is going to be education. Maybe it's university students, college students, campus ministry. You know how many students there are in any given city? You could create a ministry that reaches students. And remember, our new algorithm is, is these 40 people divided by 10. Each leader just needs to reach four a day, five days a week. I, I know that still sounds daunting, but there's a different way to look at this. I'll get to it in a moment. But, but this is absolutely possible when you identify certain spheres of life. And you've got a team around you of 10 people that are going to reach these people. Now, number 10, our last one, as an example, the addicted. Those who are struggling with addiction. How many people are addicted in our society? Ah. Wrestling with addiction. And we know the Lord Jesus Christ... And, and we learn how to build systems that rehabilitate people struggling with addiction. That's what some of these uh, Christian addiction centers are that have a higher deliverance and freedom rate than even the government programs. These, these Christian-based ones where they're reaching thousands of people for Christ. Oh, we've so limited the gospel. We just say, if somebody's addicted, come to the altar. Maybe God will set you free. Sometimes he does that way. Sometimes it's instantaneous. Other times they need a whole process of rehabilitation. The church should be on the cutting edge of bringing holistic, total transformation to anybody who's struggling with addiction. The kingdom of God is God's total answer to man's total need. The church must be a factory pumping out programs, charities, centers 
that bring deliverance to people who have any struggle at all, anything at all that is not a reflection of as it is in heaven. We should be able to meet that need with a kingdom solution, a kingdom model. For every demonic system, there is a kingdom system. For every demonic model that keeps people enslaved, there is a kingdom model. But God is waiting for the church for mature sons and daughters to infuse society with kingdom principles that are wrapped in a package of a system like this that brings deliverance. I am convinced the issue is not with God not sending revival or the devil stopping us. You have to change your mindset. You have to think differently. Apostolic engineering, a new wineskin. And hashtag that. <laughs> I'm still trying to not get so excited here, but all right. So we have our target areas. Now let's move down to number, what are we on? Number seven? Yeah, number seven. Number seven is going to be mentorship. What kind of mentorship? Well, the pastor or leader of that group of 10 has to mentor them. They're going to face all kinds of challenges and struggles. It's like a cell group. He or she is going to meet with them, let's say, once a week. They meet together as a team. And he's going to have ongoing influence. She's going to have ongoing influence on that team, helping them to reach their goals, supporting them in reaching society. Okay? So that is... Uh, weekly meeting, and then as well, the pastor or leader may meet with each of the 10 as individuals, helping them remain accountable to their goals. This is what I did. I didn't just meet with 10 once a week, but I also met with them as individuals for two hours. We called it the, the power hours or something like that, and each week I would meet with them as individuals, and I would say, okay, what's the vision of your ministry? And do you have a vision statement? How's the website going? Helping to keep them accountable to their goal because, you know, people don't always do what you expect them to do. They do what you inspect them to do. They need accountability because, believe me, the minute you go out there beyond the four walls, the devil knows and he will try to stop <laughs> this kind of work. He hates apostolic ministry because of the power that it has to fulfill the Great Commission. Can I get an amen? So number seven is mentorship. Then number eight is we don't just encourage or mentor those ten. Number eight is called assignment distribution. Assignment distribution. Now, assignment distribution is really important because you're putting expectations on your team. And expectation breeds miracles. <laughs> so this is really important. What we did with our team, and I encourage you to do this, is we had them do both a spiritual and a very practical research into the target area they're called to reach. So, for example, what this leader might do with his or her team of 10 is maybe they are going on a prayer walk. Let's, let's take the single mom, for example, the, the mother of the single mom ministry. And this single mom uh, or this leader of the single mom ministry, the first thing I would say to her is go and do a prayer walk of some kind. Begin to pray and seek the face of God about this particular sphere. And, and now this person is having an all-night prayer or they're walking through the streets and praying for the single parents of the city and they're calling on God. They're showing up to the, the all-night prayer meeting and they're saying, God, give me the single moms of this city. And they're contending for it in the spirit first and foremost. And what happens is it's really powerful we saw this dynamic in our own team when, when they come back together next week to meet and they're sharing around the table. The, the leader who's called the influence, the single parent sector, she's saying, I had no idea God's heart for those precious mothers. In prayer, God showed me this. 
God spoke to me that. I got a commission from God and I saw how the program could work. And I, I saw that, that, that the, 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 he revealed scriptures to me about God as a father to the fatherless. And they suddenly have God's perspective and his heart. So both his mind and his heart are apprehended through prayer. And they suddenly see and even feel and even carry the heart of God for that sphere of society. But not only that, they are paying the price in the economy of God. They are paying the price in the spirit unless a seed falls to the ground and dies. Or Isaiah 43, I'll give you other peoples in exchange for your life. And as they're laying their lives down in prayer, doing the spiritual labor for that sphere of society, God begins to say, oh, ask and I will give the nations to you as your inheritance. And in exchange for their prayer, in exchange for their intercession, in exchange for laboring and laying their life down in intercession for that people group, he says, I will give you the very people group you're contending for. God begins to open supernatural doors for funding and influence. He gives creative ideas and suddenly a ministry is being born in the spirit. Hallelujah. <laughs> so you do the spiritual research. You do the spiritual labor. You have your team lay their lives down in prayer and begin to rip off the, the tentacles of the strong man or that principality that's over the single parents of that region. The God of of this world, the scripture says, that has blinded the eyes, begins to lose its grip over the single parents in that city. <laughs> single parents are showing up to church and they don't know why. Begins to loosen its grip. And, and once that principality is bound, now that leader goes in and possesses a harvest of single parents saying, yes, I want Jesus. You see how this thing works? Spiritual work must be done. So that's why it's so important to mentor this group of 10 in what it means to reach people, to do the labor first in the spirit. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. But then they also have to do the practical research. And this was really amazing when I, I did this with our team. So, so spiritual research and practical research. Where do single parents live? <laughs> Is there a high population of single parents in one part of the city? What do they struggle with? Do a survey. Sit down and speak with a few single parents and say, hey, what do you struggle with? How can the church meet your need, better meet your needs? Look into government grants. We found out that the government was trying to give away money <laughs> to help with these areas of society. We could apply for grant research. In fact, on our first team, we had one person solely responsible for doing grant research. How to get money from the government to reach these sectors of society. All this is more than Sunday morning church, my friends. This is more than just waiting for... People to wake up and come to your building. This is go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go in and disciple nations. This is what this is about. Uprooting demonic systems and replacing them with new systems of righteousness. Mm. Practical research. Are there other existing programs that maybe we can partner with. Or maybe there are existing programs that reach that sphere of society, but they're missing certain important pieces. And we can build a better one. And implement it into the city and see change. And this applies not just to the single parent ministry, but business, homeless. Each of those ten, you look for what to create. Do the practical research. So assignment distribution. Point number eight is so important. Spiritual research, practical research. And then when you've done that, you begin to build. <laughs> Hallelujah. You begin to build your, your program and ministry. Now, uh, I'm going to get into number the, the last three, 9, 10, and 11 in a minute. 
I want to take you back to what seems like still a daunting task of each of the 10 reaching four people a day, five days a week. That's difficult, isn't it? That means that that person has to wake up on Monday, I've got to reach four new single moms today. Where are they? <laughs> and on Tuesday, I've got to reach four single parents again. And I've got to do that five days. That is difficult to do. Well, what if we looked at it in a different way? What if the burden wasn't to reach four single parents five days a week? What if you just had to reach 80 once a month? So for example, Reaching five single parents five days a week actually works out to 80 per month. <laughs> Just reaching 80 single parents per month. Now you're not restricted to, I got to do this on Monday. I got to do this on Tuesday. What if you just make a goal to reach 80 in your sphere once a month? And by the way, if you were to do that and only eight got saved, if you touch 80 single parents and reach them in a month, then you only need eight to be saved. Each of those 10 leaders now is only needing to reach 80 that month and eight of those get saved. If they do that for 12 months, only eight people coming to Christ for each of those 10, we will reach our goal of a thousand conversions. And I'll show you how this can work. Now, the single parent says, okay, how can I reach 80 people this month and see eight people saved? So what they do is they put on a dinner. They put on a, ding a dinner for single parents. <laughs> and they get some flyers made. And they rent out a, a, a common room in a building. Or they rent out some room. And oftentimes the owner will give it to them free of charge. Because it's, it's an event for single parents. And so you hold this event and it's a free dinner. And the, the moms get a care package at the end. They get some kind of gift basket. And you go to some people in your church and you say, would you donate towards this dinner? And so some of the ladies and maybe some of the men are cooking <laughs> and they prepare meals. Maybe even some local businesses in your city would donate towards the care packages for this single parent event. Maybe they'd give something free. And so now you've got a beautiful dinner just for single parents. And you've got the care packages. You have food being served. And then you get your worship leader or Joe somebody who plays the guitar and comes up onto the stage and does some special music, <laughs> serenades these moms with special music. And then after all of that is said and done, maybe you come to the stage and you give the salvation message to these single parents. Do you think they'd get saved? Do you think maybe eight of those 80s, 80 would get saved? Even if, even if 80 people didn't show up to the dinner, what if only 40 came? You just need eight to be saved to reach your quota for that month. And then you say, you know what, let's do it again next month in a different part of town. Or you, you change it up. But you're literally talking about reaching eight people a month. Eight single parents a month with getting them saved. And if all ten do that in their area every month, just eight people save. You will reach. You will convert 1,000 souls in one year. This is so powerful. And so let's say that single parent just holds one dinner and only 40 people show up or only 20 people show up, but eight people give their lives to Christ. Then next month, God, give me eight souls this month. Give me eight people. And then those leaders are coming to the prayer meeting. They're fasting. They're believing God for those eight souls. You can actually fulfill this system Simply by touching 80 people a month, eight salvations a month. Ten leaders doing this. And you would be surprised how God anoints this. And you end up touching 10,000 people. You end up seeing 1,000 people saved. Now, let's say that you didn't do such a good job 
the first year. <laughs> Let's say that you, you didn't touch 10,000 people, but you touched uh, 5,000 people, 2,000 people. Let's say you didn't win 1,000 people for Christ, like the team, not all of them did what they were supposed to do. Somebody quit or just life happened. So say 1,000 people didn't commit to Christ. What if 500 people committed to Christ that year? Would that significantly impact your church? 500 people in one year? You'd be moving into a building project. Okay, what if you did a really bad job at first with this system? And you, not everybody hit eight souls a month of the 10. And you only reached 250 people for Christ. Only 250 people got saved that year. Would that be a significant increase in your church? A hundred people? Guys, you'd be doing more than most churches around, I'm sorry to say. And I remember when we started using this algorithm in our own ministry, and we began to reach people, and I presented it. And at first, and I haven't forgotten about our last three points, but at first, we had total buy-in from our leadership team. They loved it. They saw how it can work. They saw how multi-level marketing and different things do this, and they're reaching people. Uh, but there were two people. They said, Pastor, we feel as though, you know, you're talking about a quota, trying to impact 80 people in a month, and, and a quota of eight souls, eight people getting saved per month. And where's, we feel like there's not the love factor. <laughs> it's just about reaching a quota. And where's the love? And I, I said to them, listen, if you, could, if you even tried to go out and put on events and reach people every month, don't you think that would be showing the love of Jesus? You would be doing more than most people, just coming and sitting in church. Where's the love? I said, look, the Bible says, if you don't have love, even if you prophesy, even if you sing on the worship team, even if you're the drummer, <laughs> if you don't inject love into everything we do in ministry, you're just a noisy, clanging symbol, the Bible says. So, of course, we need to inject love into our outreaches, into our ministries, into our systems. Of course, love needs to be, the, the love of Jesus needs to be dis displayed at that single parent banquet. <laughs> the love of Jesus needs to be displayed when you gather business leaders together. When you, when you minister to the homeless, the love of Jesus must be displayed. But I promise you, even if you don't like structuring it, even if you don't like the wineskin, if you do something, God will respond. And you'll get more results than sitting and waiting for the city to show up at your church door. You've got to go to them. If you want to reap, you've got to sow. We're talking about organized righteousness. And organizing the kingdom in such a way that we reach into every sphere. And your people are out there reaching people. So powerful. And you create a team like this. You create one team. One year, and then guess what you do next year? Next year, you create a second team. <laughs> and they go out and do the same thing. Third year, another team. And, and you keep releasing teams like this into society until the presence of that local church is felt in a systemic way throughout the community. They think that your church numbers in the thousands, but you just have three teams of ten. <laughs> And you're not so worried about how many people come on a Sunday, how many people are in my church. No, you're not counting church membership so much anymore. You're counting kingdom influence out there. And you mobilize, you equip and mobilize until the effects of the kingdom of God through your, through your small group, the effects of the kingdom of God through your organization or, or church are felt throughout society with the seniors, the homeless, the business, the, edu the education. You keep pumping out sons and daughters. You keep sowing seeds into the kingdom in an organized way. And Sunday morning becomes the celebration. Imagine on a Sunday getting a couple of couple people, just a, two of your ten, to come up and say, 
Here's how many we reached this week. Imagine a once a year conference where all 10 leaders come up and they give their statistics. And they say, we held 10 single parent banquets this year. We touched 8,000 people and uh, 500 people came to Christ this year. And then the business person comes up and says, yes, we, this year we held this many business events. We're in this sector of society. Uh, I was invited to speak uh, on this stage and, and we touched this many business people. We raised this amount of money for impoverished nations. And you start giving kingdom statistics. I'm telling you, your people will get bored with, we have this many people that come to our church. <laughs> They'll be thinking mass numbers of kingdom influence out there beyond the four walls of the church. It's when it gets exciting. You see the church as just a base. It's the, it's the embassy <laughs> where ambassadors are released to fulfill the Great Commission. It's a totally different model than the way we've been doing. Because every person has Talents and abilities. Every person has a calling and a purpose out there. Every person can be one of those leaders that is bringing the kingdom to that sector of society. And believing God, give me eight souls this month or I die. It's a game changer. Just ten people. I'm convinced that we have to change our mindset. Now, what's number nine? Number nine is simply a backup plan. Backup plan. So a good backup plan is to not just choose 10 people, choose 12. I chose 15 because I knew one person was going to move away. Another person was going <laughs> to... There's, a, there's always a Judas <laughs> in every group. Listen, a third of the angels left heaven and God still hasn't got them back. <laughs> People will leave. <laughs> so choose 15 instead of 10 so you can still have a chance at reaching your, your quota. Again, if you say to me, Pastor, this sounds kind of gimmicky. You're enticing people with dinners and and uh, enticing people with this and that. Listen, it's Jesus who said, you are fishers of men. And if you want to fish for people, you got to use the right bait. <laughs> and infuse it with love. We're not missing the love piece here, guys. <laughs> We're loving them by applying this kind of effort to reach people. We're not loving them if we're sitting in our churches consuming sermon after sermon and conference after conference and nothing changes for the city that's two feet away from our doors. Dear God. So backup plan. Now, another aspect of backup plan which I found was really important was each of the 10 that the leaders that are active should have co-leaders. They should have a co-leader so that if one leader falls, leaves or whatever... They are replaced quickly. That's what happened with our first single parent program. Is uh, the one leader, when she went out there and launched it, her marriage got attacked. She ended up having to leave. But we had a co-leader that was well prepared and just took her place so that we didn't miss a beat. We were still able to quickly move on. And the devil couldn't take out that program so easily. <laughs> it's war. We, you need reserve soldiers. Always training people. This is the necessity of an apostolic center or just even a classical model church to always be training and equipping people. So number nine is backup plan. Number 10 is control system. Now a control system is, is a very interesting thing. Control system is essentially a, a system within a system. The control system helps you to ensure results. And so it, it means what it says. It's not about controlling people's lives or something, but it's a system that keeps people accountable. If you've been in church leadership for any length of time, 
just saying, yay, go reach the business people, we bless you. You may have minimal results at the end of that year. But if you have a system in place, so for example, maybe each of your 10, you're not just meeting with them once a week, but maybe they send a weekly email uh, by Sunday night of a progress report or a monthly email that lists how many they reached, what they did. Maybe your control system is with text messaging or it's some kind of system and, and the weekly touch base of meeting with them, maybe it's even on Zoom, is a good example of a control system because it keeps the work accountable. You need this. People don't do what you expect them to do. They do what you inspect them to do. And many, many organizations understand this and they utilize control systems for this reason. Expectation breeds miracles. So within your control system, you're staying on top of it. I remember one man, he wanted to lose weight. And so I helped him to put in place a system. And his system meant that he had to eat certain things. He had to keep track of what he was eating. He had to email me on, I did it with him. He was a pastor friend of mine. And we built a system for him. And he had to email me on Sunday night by midnight as to I think calorie count, or he, he had a weigh-in, you know, this kind of thing, and it kept him accountable. One of the things, he was supposed to exercise each day, and we found that he wasn't doing it. <laughs> and so we, we changed the uh, control system a bit where he had to send me a text that he was going out for a run or a walk or whatever it was. So he, he would send this text, but then he wouldn't go out. <laughs> So he would say, I'm going, and he would really mean to go, but then, you know, the gates of hell. <laughs> and uh, so we had to alter the control system a bit, where he sent me a text before he went out, and he had to send a text after saying that he exercised. And when we input this control system, he began to really gain ground. It's about accountability. And so this is absolutely important, and people know why. People know why you have something like this in place. You might want to change the word from control to accountability in the Christian world. We, we don't like the word control, but accountability system. So each of those leaders, you're keeping accountable to their, to their goals. Hallelujah. We're almost done. Let's, let's get one more in here. Number 11, reward system. Reward system. And I have myself, I'm in the weight loss process right now. It's been post-COVID season. I gained some weight and my wife helps me. I, everything is portioned. I have to eat at certain times. And, and look, when I wasn't able to do it by feelings and emotions, we put a control system in. My wife is the, <laughs> is the leader of the control system for me. And I'm losing weight, following a system. And I'll be honest with you, yes, I did lay hands on myself like you've heard at these conferences and, and they, they supernaturally lose weight apparently. I did that. I laid hands on myself. I, I declared scripture of all kinds of things and I didn't lose the weight. But you know what? I'm glad Jesus didn't do it for me as a sudden miracle. I'll tell you why. It's because it forced me to learn the laws and principles that he made that govern the human body. I began to learn how instead of a quick miracle, I could make health a lifestyle and I could manage my promised land and not just be in the wilderness relying on miracles to get rid of. Oh. <laughs> From miracles to management, this will help. <laughs> Hallelujah. Reward system. Now, when we talk about reward system, uh, and a lot of companies and organizations will use a reward system or incentives. You'll get maybe a, a trip for two to something, or you'll get a gift of some sort when you reach your, your quota. Now, I know this is touchy for Christians, and, and you would like to say that shouldn't the reward be in heaven one day and not on earth, and shouldn't people be motivated by, you know, God will reward me one day? Yes, they should. 
Eternal reward should always be part of our expectation, but people actually like to be appreciated. It's part of human nature. Give them a gift. <laughs> when you reach your eight people per month, maybe they get a Tim Horton's card or something, and you'll have to pastor that. You'll have to explain that we don't pay you to reach people, but to celebrate or maybe just you worked hard, you put on events, maybe you didn't reach your goal, but you worked hard and you honor people and appreciate them. People like to be appreciated, Christian or not. And so one thing we did with our staff, I remember years ago, when I was pastoring each staff meeting, I just bought some generic cards. They were blank cards. And I would just pick somebody and I would write down, Thank you, Jen, for all of your great work in this ministry. We couldn't do it without you. Love, Pastor Derek and the team. And right there in front of the staff, I would give that card. And I'd say, I want to highlight so-and-so for the work they've been doing. And I'd give them a card. Listen, they would be so blessed by that. You would, you would end up having an extra extra years out of them because they feel appreciated. They feel part of a community. They feel like they're part of something special. They've been honored. They've been appreciated. Simple. Just the reward system of that nature. Everybody likes to be appreciated for what they do. And we saw that people were so touched by that, it provided an inner motivation. Yes, Jesus is your motivation. Yes, the Bible is your motivation. Eternity is your motivation. But you can actually have fun with this. You can be creative. And for the people that reach their goal, let's say of, uh, of uh, you know, however many souls or whatever your numbers are, for those people, maybe do something big for them. Or celebrate the entire team. When the end of the year comes, celebrate the work the team has done. People will go the distance because it's human nature. That's the power of a reward system. Hallelujah. I want you to know today. Yeah, we got that there. I want you to know today that when we began the work of system building, and introducing it to apostolic centers and churches, that you didn't have to just wait for people to show up to your church door. <laughs> that you didn't have to just keep praying, keep prophesying, one day, one day the harvest is coming, one day they're coming. When we introduced this, we saw in two years, this is a two-year period, we were able to reach 250,000 people. Now that's globally, but that was in two years. We saw more results in two years than I did in 10 years of great services. And great services are great. All of that is wonderful. It's part of what we do, as I've already underscored. But when you get into apostolic sending in an organized way, you've heard of organized crime? where certain crime is able to flourish in a city or nation, when the police are fighting it, the society frowns against it, but yet sex trafficking or some kind of crime is flourishing in the society still. Why? It's not just crime, it's organized crime. Now imagine organized righteousness, organizing the kingdom, taking kingdom principles and values, whether people want Jesus or not, but introduce the principles and values of the kingdom in an organized way until you are occupying territory beyond the walls of the church. We had just 10 leaders. Actually, it was 13 because I had a few backup plans. 13 leaders. And the mayor presented us with an award. And said, we welcome History Maker Society into our city. The effects of the kingdom were so systemic in, that, in our city at that time. They thought there were hundreds of us. And at the event, when he went to give the award, there was just 13 people. 13 people had reached so many because of organizing the kingdom. Intentional leadership. Mentorship. Just using system building, we were able to reach so many more people than ever before. Hallelujah. I want you to go home from here, and in your assignments, you're going to have to create a system. You can replicate this one. But I want you to go home and begin to system build. When I discovered this secret, I would sit at my table. I hired somebody to cook for me. I barely got up from the table, and I created a system for single parents. 
a system for youth. We created systems to go into the school system and teach financial training, the things that are not being taught to the students. We the church, we the church can be the head and not the tail and transform society. But we've got to change our mindset. It's not that God is holding back revival. It's not that the devil is power, more powerful than you. It's our mindsets. We've got to be free from religion. And make the main thing the main thing again. And stop waiting. You can prophesy and prophesy and prophesy. You'll be waiting and waiting for God to come down and reach a harvest. He's told you to go and reach. Thanks for listening to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you liked what you heard, visit historymakersacademy.com to enroll in one of our cutting-edge trainings. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, History Makers TV. Thank you.